The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five stocks coming off their best day in more than two years. The question now, where do we go from here? President Biden, the G7 meeting in Germany, set to announce new sanctions and more trade bans against Russia. A live report from that meeting ahead. Sticking with Russia, Moscow defaulting on foreign currency government debt for the first time in 100 years. The financial fallout on deck. Another summer weekend, another headache at the airport. More delays, more cancellations, and it is not just passengers bracing for turbulence at the terminal. And later, oil heading for its first down month of the year. But will oil stocks go with it? It's all happening on this Monday, June 27th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. As always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Get right to it. Kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. And it is looking pretty good right now. Futures, they are higher across the board. All that coming off a nice pop for stocks last week. And at the S&P, see, it's best day since May of 2020. Is that a good sign? Maybe, but we should add that most of the research that we read over the weekend indicates many see this nothing more than a bear market rally. Of course, time will ultimately tell. It's been relatively quiet in bonds lately. Kind of remains that way this morning. Yields are moving up a bit, back to 3.16%, but have really been in this range now for the better part of two months after that sharp move at the beginning of the year. In the oil market, crude is rising slightly, maybe a buck or two above where it was last week, but still well off its recent highs. We're at 10690 President Biden and other G7 leaders meeting in Germany right now, and there were discussions over the weekend about trying to impose some kind of price cap on Russian oil, like some type of shipping insurance restrictions. Remember, we showed you last week that Russia is still selling as much oil globally than before the Western sanctions were put on, and it's possible Vladimir Putin is making more money now than before he began his war. We'll get more on this later on in the morning. And in crypto markets, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether on the move, but not in a big way as well. Bitcoin and Ether are both higher just a bit by less than 1%. Bitcoin's at 21400 And one more thing to check on this Monday morning, commodities. Because there are some hopeful signs out there that inflation is receding just a bit. The DBC Commodity Tracking ETF, it has rolled over in the past few weeks. That far right of your screen, not by a lot. But everything has to start somewhere, and we're trying to find a little bright spot for you on a Monday that maybe inflation, at least on the commodity side, is getting a little bit better. All right, that's what's happening here. Let's find out what's happening around the world, the trade, some key headlines. Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with that. Good morning. 
Brian, good morning. Well, European equity markets are off to a pretty decent start. We've got green for the most part, but we have come off the highs of the, mo- of the morning. So the momentum slowing a little bit. The Italian market has just crossed into negative territory in the last 20 minutes or so. We are seeing outsized gains for the German market. The DAX is up about one and a quarter percent. We did see some underperformance in the DAX last week, though. So a bit of a catch up trade there. Concerns around a potential cutoff of gas supply into Germany as the country moved to stage two of their emergency plan last week. We've got about seven-tenths of a percent worth of gains for the FTSE 100, half a percent higher for the CAC 40 in France, the Swiss market about the same. Uh, From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like. We are seeing strong gains for basic resources. At one point, we were up more than 3% for basic resources, now up 2.6% on the back of um, a decent session in China and some relatively positive uh, headlines out of China around industrial production not being quite as uh, down as feared. Also, some potentially positive headlines around the COVID situation in Shanghai. We're also closely watching gas this morning. The EU's energy commissioner has said Russian gas imports into the block are at around half the level they were a year ago and could decrease even further. This as French energy CEOs have urged individuals and businesses to cut back on power consumption to prepare for a looming crisis. So Brian, certainly um, a developing story that we are continuing to watch closely. You have some strength in EDF and Angie in the utility space in France, but otherwise we are seeing a bit of a pullback in the utilities here. Brian, we'll hand it back over to you. They're talking about, yeah, they're- They're talking about having to ration gas over the winter in parts of Europe. The cold, a big threat. And they're also, I saw an energy official in Germany this weekend saying that gas prices, heating bills could triple for many Germans this winter. Wow. Juliana Tadabon, thank you very much. All right. Also, another developing story this morning, and this is a big one for the financial history books. Russia defaulting on its foreign currency debt for the first time since 1918. Pippa Stevens in now with more on that. This is a biggie, Pippa. Hey, good morning, Brian. Yes, a biggie indeed. Russia defaulting on its foreign currency sovereign debt for the first time in a century. This is seen as a culmination of ongoing Western sanctions that halted Moscow's ability to pay overseas creditors. For months, the country has been able to skirt some sanctions. But yesterday marked the end of a 30-day grace period on roughly $100 million in interest payments that were originally due May 27. A formal default declaration would normally come from ratings agencies. But since the sanctions were imposed, they've all but dropped coverage of Russian-related assets and debt. Still, many are seeing the default as a largely symbolic event for a Russian economy that's already dealing with double-digit inflation and its worst economic contraction in years. For its part, Russia is pushing back against the default status, saying it has the funds to cover the payments, but Western nations have forced the non-payment. Russia has been attempting instead to service its $40 billion of outstanding sovereign debt in rubles. Brian, a lot here to watch and certainly some broader implications. Yeah, and it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. We've been talking about their credit default swaps rising for the last couple of months. And I guess if you can't pay the bills, you default. Still, first time in 100 years, big deal. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, let's get back now to the macro markets. They are working to claw their way back from what has been one of the worst first halves to a year ever. The S&P 500 down 18%. The Nasdaq even worse. It has lost a quarter of its value this year. But that, of course, is in the past. The key now is where we go from here. Let's bring in Annika Trion, Managing Director of Equities at Kempen, joining us from Europe. And 
You know, Annika, I want to get your macro market view. But more than that, at the beginning, what I'd like to do is talk to you as a resident of the Netherlands. You are in Europe right now. We're talking about all this stuff that's going on, gas rationing, petrol at $10 equivalent, U.S. gallon, etc. What's the future, both short term and longer term, for, the Euro- for Europe and the European economy? I mean, it seems almost impossible to consider that some kind of steep downturn, if not a deep recession, is on its way. Hi, Brian. Absolutely. And it's it's just a very odd situation. I think we're all sort of baffling through because on one hand, there are enough reasons to be very concerned, very bearish. And that's why consumer confidence has fallen off a cliff, right, below global financial crisis levels. On the other hand, it doesn't feel like we're in a recessionary environment or getting into one. Restaurants are fully booked. Holidays are fully booked. Flights are full. They're expensive. So it's it's very odd state of affairs. And even if you look at the analyst estimates, bizarrely enough, and this is not only for Europe, by the way, estimates are going higher instead of going lower for company earnings. So where's the disconnect? If, and, I, and I by the way, I completely agree with everything you're saying. If I went to Schiphol Airport right now, it's probably packed with two to three hour lines. Same way in the United States. So somebody's getting it wrong. somebody's getting it wrong. And I think the first point is, let's go back to consumer confidence, because that's what everybody is talking about right now. That is shockingly low. The fact that consumer confidence is below global financial crisis level is amazing, because that's a moment where hundreds of thousands of jobs were being removed from the economy. Right now, we have the opposite. So what you're seeing is, very simply, consumers are using their savings to bridge the gap. And we all know this is not sustainable. And that's that's the scary moment that we are all anticipating at the moment. Do you see either our Federal Reserve or the European Central Bank or the Bank of England having to flip at some point, Annika? I know it sounds ridiculous. We're talking about rates going up. I get it. But I'm looking out a little bit longer. And one wonders, when do we start talking about the ECB and central banks starting to pull back a little bit, maybe ease the economy, because if if European gas, natural gas prices stay where they are into the winter and it's cold, and I mean this with respect, you guys as a macro economy are in big trouble. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny you mention this because it's equally viable to consider the macro environment we're in right now to see rates going up as it is to see rates going down. And how how odd is that? And I think the scary thing is central banks, so the ECB is talking about core inflation, not headline inflation. There's a reason for that. The difference between core and headline, the big differences are food and energy. And that's exactly where the shocks are coming from, i.e. central banks don't have the tools to combat uh, food and energy price growth. And, and well, that, that's essentially the scary thing, because the only way to combat price growth in food and energy is to have massive demands destruction, which, you know, which, yeah. which is the scenario for ugly recession. Let's try to leave it on a more positive note from an equities perspective, Annika. European equities have tended to always trade at a slight discount to the U.S. Our S&P 500 is like 16 to 17 times earnings. I think most of the European markets, the major ones, are 10. I think some are even lower and some well-known companies are in the mid to high single digits on price to earnings. Is your, are European you know, equities getting to the point where they're kind of cheap enough to look at, regardless of everything that we just talked about? 
No, Brian, you're absolutely right. And there are gems in there. And that's what we that's what we in a house a house are doing, going really, really fundamental nitty gritty, because as said, you can't just look at P.E. and trust what that multiple is telling you. In many cases, it's a nonsense story. You need to look at the E, look at the cash flow. And to your point, there are plenty of European listed businesses that are global in nature. So absolutely, yes. Yeah, trying to find a little bit of a silver lining somewhere in everything else that has been going on. It's hard, but I think we did it. Annika Trion of Kemp. And Annika, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, so much to do on this busy Monday. And when we come back here on WEX, some good news. Gasoline prices backing down from recent record highs. But will a plan by the G7 to try to cap the price of oil actually backfire? Plus, it is a blame game between airlines and regulators as travel troubles show no sign of easing ahead of the July 4th holiday. And later on, another housing crisis may be building under the radar could be in trouble for millions of Americans just trying to pay the rent. The numbers you've got to hear in your RBI coming up as we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools All right, welcome back. Let's talk a little bit of oil and energy prices right now. They are holding steady. Oil down about a half a buck to 107. Investors, though, bracing for any moves against Russian oil and gas exports that may emerge from the G7 meeting in Germany. Leaders there are expected to discuss further sanctions on Moscow, including trying to impose a possible price cap on Russian oil, likely through some kind of limit on ship insurance. Many in the market are doubtful a move like that would actually work. Let's bring in now Bart Mellick. He is Global Head of Commodity Market Strategy at TD Securities. And Bart, last week on this program, we walked through with an oil economist how Russia is probably selling as much or more oil globally than it did before the Western sanctions because buying from India is up 650%. According to Rystad Energy, you know all the news. You've heard all the talk about what may happen at G7. Would that work? I'm not so sure it would dissuade its major clients right now uh, from purchasing anymore. Uh, they've established you know, fairly reliable links. They were getting um, preferential prices, and there would have to be more robust action trying to convince those clients, uh, not, just, not, not exactly what form that would exactly take. Um, you know, perhaps more uh, moral suasion would be in order. Do you think we could, really, unless China and India get on board, 
this is just going to be talked by the West while Asia and the East just buys up all the cheaper Russian crude that they can. I think there's any shot that, that India, China won't, but could India come on board with some kind of G7 deal? They were apparently involved in some preliminary talks. Well, certainly, I, I think uh, if there is some sort of a deal with India, it would probably be in limited scope. Uh, because in the, at the end of the day, it's, it's hard to imagine without significant increases from uh, OPEC sources and others to supply them. Uh, they do need the crude. And uh, I think at this stage, it's difficult to ask India uh, to make fundamental sacrifices uh, uh, for this. Uh, there would have to be some sort of alternative for that product they're getting from Russia right now. Yeah. You got uh, over a billion people just trying to heat uh, you know, eat and cool and heat their homes in the winters and summers. The, 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 the politicians there are not going to face any kind of a backlash from their population because they lack fossil fuels. Uh, Scott Sheffield, Bart, who is the head of Pioneer, probably one of, if not the most uh, widely respected overall macro voice in U.S. oil, said over the weekend that he thought oil would stay above $100 a barrel for five years. Do you agree with Scott? Well, our, our forecast is a little lower uh, going forward. We do expect OPEC start delivering more, maybe uh, in, in August or so. Uh, Nigeria is on record as saying that they could, uh, by August, increase production by about half a million barrels uh, or so. OPEC has committed to increase uh, supply over the next few months by 648,000 barrels a day. Yeah. Uh, though, while I say that, uh, I fully acknowledge that the OPEC's ability to deliver, uh, particularly the some few nations which have a fairly robust quota, they simply were unable to. It remains to see whether or not OPEC and Saudi Arabia uh, can deliver more crude to yeah. these uh, world markets. Uh, I think that is a big risk. I think if that were to happen, uh, we could see prices start coming off. We do, in fact, expect prices to spike a bit more yeah. uh, through the best or the worst of the uh, driving season and then come off. Uh, we do expect that very, very robust monetary policy taking will ultimately have an impact on demand as well and speculative interest, uh, which may, we think, one, drop it to 100 bucks. I want it one, very quickly. It didn't get a lot of attention. Ecuador their energy minister saying yesterday that they could cut off all oil production in 48 hours because of protests, riots, lack of labor, lack of raw materials. Ecuador is not a big producer. But in this market, is there any margin for global error? I mean, if you have a couple hundred thousand barrels a day come out of Ecuador, that's got to be made up somewhere, Bart. It feels like this is a market that's on the razor's edge where in Ecuador may actually matter. <laughs> yes, well, I think any production, uh, you know, a couple of even 100,000 barrels uh, a day would make a difference. Uh, certainly psychological difference uh, uh, to the market. It could mean whether or not some speculative interest wants to go long or not long or, or, or you know, cover shorts or not. Um, ultimately, the market is fairly tight. We do have a problem yeah. coming up with natural gas. Uh, as well, uh, and that means on the you know we would probably see more than normal seasonally uh, distillate uh, uh, demand wherever you could substitute, you would try. So yes, uh, any meaningful disruption could matter. But conversely, 
any surprise to yeah. the upside uh, would matter as well. Let's say Nigeria's ability to deliver the half a million barrels uh, they've said they might. Yeah, they might. Let's let's see if that happens. This massive underinvestment in Africa by Western countries the last couple of years really started to impact them. Bart Mellick of uh, TD Ameritrade. Appreciate it, Bart. Have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Atlantic Council CEO Fred Kemp is here weighing in on this weekend's G7 and NATO summits and how leaders are threading the needle between international tension and domestic economic pressure. Stick around. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right. Welcome and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines outside of the world of money and business. Francis Rivera is in New York with those. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good Monday morning to you. Outrage over the reversal of Roe has fueled protests across the country. Demonstrators took to the streets across the country after Friday's Supreme Court ruling ending the decades-old constitutional right to an abortion. And activists on the other side of the issue were also out in force, joyfully celebrating the high court's decision. Three people are dead and two more are in the hospital after an Amtrak train crashed into a car about an hour southeast of San Francisco. All of the victims were in the vehicle. No one on the train was hurt. Yesterday's crash is still under investigation. A Russian barrage of missiles hit Kiev as President Biden and several world leaders gather in Germany for the G7 summit. They hit two residential buildings. One person died and several others were wounded. Ukrainian officials saying these strikes are a direct message to the leaders of the summit. Some sports news this morning. The Avalanche are your 2022 Stanley Cup winners. Manson to McKinnon, bouncing puck, and a goal! Artari Lekkinen makes it 2-1, Colorado. Five seconds to go. Up it comes to the line. Colorado has won the Stanley Cup. Colorado took game six with a 2-1 victory over Tampa Bay as defenseman Kale Maker scored MVP honors and raised Lord Stanley's Cup. This is Colorado's third title, the first since 2001. For Monday morning, Brian, you're up to date with your news headlines. And they're probably still rocking in parts of Denver. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. All right, coming up, we're going to get random but interesting on real estate and some scary new stats around trying to make the rent. You're going to want to hear that. If we had to break, a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. If you missed the show any day, we get it. It's early. Check it out on the podcast app. We're back right after this. A real turn for stocks or just another bear market pop? Futures up, even as stocks do something for the first time since the Jackson 5 were topping the charts. 
President Biden in the G7 trying to squeeze Putin as Moscow defaults on debt for the first time in a century. CNBC is on the ground in Germany with more. And the air travel blame game ramping up as major airlines now asking for a sit down with the Biden administration as a brutal 4th of July weekend for flying looms ahead. It is Monday, June 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a good Monday morning. It's about 5.30 on the East Coast. Jump right in and see how these markets are doing after what was a pretty big day on Friday and really one of the few good weeks you've had in a while. Stock futures right now seeing a little bit of that momentum carry through. Dow futures not up a lot, but they are up about 139. NASDAQ futures are also higher. As we noted, all the major averages up last week about 3%, so pretty good week for the equity markets. But even with those gains, it is still one of the worst first halves to a year ever, down 18% on the S&P 500. And Evercore ISI thinks some of this momentum should continue in the short term, but then turn back down. Evercore putting out a note on Sunday saying they do expect a short-term rally in the S&P 500 back toward 4,000 before falling again in the third quarter back below 3,500. Strategist Julian Emanuel says markets would likely remain weak until gasoline prices drop. So a little pop and then a drop, according to Evercore ISI. All right, let's move on and get the latest from the G7 meeting in Germany. President Biden, Boris Johnson, and other G7 members looking to turn up the pressure on Russia. The new moves coming as Europe navigates an energy crisis and inflation continues to ripple across the continent and the globe. Senior White House correspondent Kayla Tausche is on the ground in Germany with the very latest of the G7 summit. Kayla, good morning. Brian, good morning. G7 leaders are trying to maintain unity as the war in Ukraine drags on and challenges the West's resolve to keep punishing Vladimir Putin amid a darkening economic backdrop worldwide. Today, earlier uh, this morning, you're taking a look at a, a meeting right there where Ukraine's President Zelensky addressed G7 leaders as they're trying to figure out exactly how to keep that pressure on Russia. Well, we're expecting at least in the next day or so, four of those seven countries to announce a ban on imports of Russian gold. The purpose of that would be essentially to keep oligarchs and keep the Kremlin from being able to sell gold as a way to to finance the war, finance other purchases, and try to skirt some of the sanctions that have been put on. Of course, gold is the second biggest export by Russia by revenue coming just after oil. Now, oil is also figuring prominently in the discussions here as well. Uh, allies are discussing price caps for Russian oil to stay on the market, according to a senior U.S. official. But there is no agreement yet. The U.S. is also announcing tariffs on $2.3 billion in Russian goods. And people familiar with the matter tell me that the U.S. could keep bans on tech exports to Russia and asset freezes on Vladimir Putin and his inner circle. Those could be in place semi-permanently. But Tim Adams, who leads the Institute for International Finance, notes that without China and India on board, any of these measures may lack efficacy. Adams tells me that's the challenge with any of these regimes. How do you get more people on board? As long as Russia can sell energy, that can generate a tremendous amount of income, even at a discount. Now, with Russia on the brink of a debt default uh, and, of course, some of these new measures designed to squeeze its ability to finance the war, U.S. officials are hopeful for some sort of negotiated settlement in Ukraine in the coming months. But then, Brian, perhaps the even bigger question of what does the world and the global economy look like after that? 
Oh, I've got, I've got so many questions here because they're talking again about hundreds of billions of dollars for renewable energy, which is great. We're going to need all the energy we can. But there wasn't a lot of commentary around traditional fuels other than this potential ban. As I read the news, Kayla, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, so I apologize if I do. I'm hearing talk about price caps, but if you're talking about capping prices, that to me says you're also still planning on buying Russian oil. They're shutting it off as of January 1st. So would this just be really for the remainder of the year? Or is this some kind of a sneaky way out where they can keep buying Russian oil, but then claim, well, Putin's not going to make a lot of money on it? It's confusing. Right. Well, well, Brian, those are some of the details that allies currently haven't agreed on. Really, what they have in place right now is an agreement uh. to keep talking about and developing some sort of plan, because you're right. The devil is in those details, and those details really matter. But there is this acknowledgement behind the scenes that with China and India still buying Russian oil and with Russia being able to benefit from the price spikes that we've seen so far in the market, they're essentially able to get the same amount of revenue or close to it than they would if they were able to sell the same amount of oil that they were before the invasion. And so there's this feeling that the West is really being punished by its own decisions. And yeah. if there's a way to keep Russian oil on the market, but limit the price that the Kremlin's able to get for it, uh, then maybe, you know, it, in, in the end, the revenues that Russia get are the same, but the West doesn't have to suffer so much. That's well, and that's the reality. We, we, we can feel good and say that we are, we as a Western areas are not funding or helping fund this war. But let's be clear, Vladimir Putin is likely taking in as much or maybe more money and before the sanctions because of India, China, and others. Kayla Tausche, all day long in Germany. Kayla, thank you very much. All right, joining us now is Atlantic Council CEO and CNBC contributor Fred Kemp. He is out with an op-ed over the weekend talking about the EU's rewiring plan, their longer-term future, and I'll get to that in just a second, Fred, but I think you get my point, right? As I'm reading these stories about the potential price cap, I'm thinking, wait a minute, as of January 1st, you said you're no longer going to buy any Russian oil why are we talking about price camps, which caps, which will take months, by the way, to implement? It felt to me like some sort of a sneaky way for them to keep buying Russian fossil fuels, but then claim some moral victory over pricing. What's your take and what's your understanding? Well, I, I, I think these meetings and I'm in Madrid now, so I'm for the here for the NATO meeting tomorrow. Uh, there, there's a little bit more symbolism. Uh, to these meetings uh, because so much has already been done. The finance ministers are going to have to sort out the price cap. They don't really know how it's going to work yet. And and you, you're you asking the right questions. There's, a, a, in a way, a, non, a new non-aligned movement that's risen up. It's not just China and India. It's also parts of Africa, a lot of other parts of the world that really haven't signed on to these sanctions. So, um, but, but, it, but the symbolism is important because it shows the West is holding together. And don't forget, it was the G7 uh, that for the first time in history uh, sanctioned, uh, uh, actually froze the assets of a G20 uh, central bank, the Russian central bank, which froze 350 billion assets. And we saw um, a default yesterday of uh, foreign currency sovereign debt in Russia uh, on two, yeah. uh, two payments for the first time since 1918. So, so it, this is biting. Do you think Europe itself will hold? Fred, they are in for what could be a long, cold winter and the possible shutting down of massive parts of their economy, industrial production, car making, aluminum making because of energy prices. 
I mean, that's enough to fracture the closest group of political friends. Yeah, that's what my CNBC op-ed was about. Uh, the rewiring of Europe was after February 4th, Europe came together uh, more than ever before on around sanctions with the U.S., around uh, spending more on defense, around supporting uh, Ukraine, even though the Germans have been accused of being slow getting uh, weapons to Ukraine. They didn't send any, send any to Ukraine before at all. But now you have uh, natural gas prices uh, rising. You have inflation at 8.1% in May in the EU. Uh, uh, the, the Russians, uh, Putin is counting on the U.S. not staying the course. Uh, and I think that what this is all about is who can who can stay longer. And he thinks that the de democracies, by and large, just have attention deficit disorder. They're not going to stick with it. They're going to have more of the political tr troubles that uh, uh, Macron had not even being able to win his parliament after his election. Uh, and so this is really going to be the war of attrition of Putin against the staying power uh, of the West. Yeah. Can we talk more about Germany? Obviously, the biggest economy in Europe, one of the biggest in the world. In 2010, they started their energy transition. They've spent hundreds of billions, if not more than a trillion dollars on it. Carbon emissions are pretty much maybe where they were slightly lower. So you haven't gotten a lot of environmental benefit yet from it. Now they're talking about rationing. They're talking about weaning themselves off completely Russian natural gas. Uh, can you undo 20 years of policy and, and addiction to Russian natural gas in six months, Fred? Is this going to work or are these going to be either politicians that have to completely flip like they have and say, OK, we're going to go back to coal and maybe we'll keep some nuclear plants on? Or do you think Germany can really pull this off? Well, it's the reason I wrote about this as a European rewiring and particularly German rewiring. You can't stop in the middle of it if you're going to go in this direction. And Ryan, you're right to ask a question whether they can really pull this off in six months. The answer is probably not. Uh, what we're seeing is the outcome of really a shameful energy policy in Germany uh, where they yeah. became much more dependent on Russia than ever was necessary. They gave up their nuclear power, uh, and they have to be rethinking that now. They're actually going to fire up new coal plants, uh, whoever thought that was going to happen in Germany. So you're right to think it may not be as fast as, as, as forecast, but the direction the Germans say is permanent. This, they're not going to roll this back. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, they don't even have a way to receive LNG uh, properly yet, which, of course, other countries in Europe have done. So it it's really is a, a, a huge yeah. overhaul. But they are going in the right direction and they will continue to do it. Just how fast they do it, who knows? And, and the inflation in the meantime is going to be high. Well, German political leaders, like our political leaders, got to remember one thing that I think they've all forgotten. They work for us. They are our employees. They are hired by us to do job. And we'll see, Fred, if the German population allows that to continue. By the way, Fred, I I'm a Virginia Tech Hokie. I tweeted out the other day that if Germany will reconsider shutting off those nuclear plants by Labor Day or I will wear a UVA hat on the on the air i just want to be on the record you, you may have to wear it i've been right. talking to, I've, I've been talking to green party politicians who are rethinking this and so when you hear the green party in germany talk about uh, putting uh, nuclear plants back on again you may end up wearing that hat well if, if they if they if they say they're going to fire them back up then i don't have to if they don't if i'm wrong i'll wear it and that's going to be a painful oh, I see, day I see. Okay. fred Kemp. Okay. yeah <laughs> 
Fred Kemp of the Atlantic Council. Everybody urge you to check out his excellent op-ed on CNBC.com. Fred, thank you very much. Thank All right, you. coming up, it is your morning RBI and some scary new stats on how many people may face eviction from their rentals in the coming months. Some numbers you have got to hear coming up. All right, all week long here on CNBC, we've got a big lineup live from the Aspen Ideas Festival, which NBC Universal News Group is the media partner for. Going to hear from the CEOs of Google, Intel, IBM, and many, many more of that today and all through the week right here on CNBC. Stay tuned for that all week long. Pretty cool. All right, time now for your Monday RBI. Today, let's get random but interesting on rents. Because there is some troubling new data out that may have gotten lost in all the other big headlines the last few days. And that is that more than 8 million Americans are late in paying their rent or struggling to pay it at all. The federal government found that more than 8 million Americans, or about 15% of all renters, are late in their monthly rents. That number is likely to get even worse because rents continue to go higher. The Census Bureau found that in the past year, rents have gone up by an average of $250 per month for nearly 7 million households. And keep in mind, that is the national average. That number is going to be well, well higher in places like New York, where despite the city still missing a lot of office workers, the demand for rentals is off the charts. Look at this. The government found that nearly 3.5 million Americans say they are very or somewhat likely to have to leave their homes in the next two months. It is a huge number. Millions of people could be pushed out of their homes because they simply can't afford to pay the rent. Census also found that the impact of these rent hikes is disproportionately impacting people of color and a 40 to 54-year-old age group. As bad as it is, it could get worse this summer as rents reset higher for millions of people who were able to get slightly better deals because of COVID. Now consider the impact on this on the overall inflation. We showed you earlier in the show, there are some signs that commodity inflation may be starting to fall a bit. Some good news, some prices have come down. But if rents keep rising, wouldn't that just negate any benefit of falling commodity costs? So while one measure of higher prices is coming down, another far more important one, having a place to live, is going up. We're going to stay on this story. It is random but interesting and random but a little bit scary as well. All right, if you have flown lately, especially in the Northeast or busier airports like Atlanta and Chicago, you know that travel is a mess right now. And it's in part because travel is, ironically, booming. TSA screening nearly 2.5 million passengers on Friday, the highest number since just before the pandemic. And keep in mind, that is still with international travel to places like China nowhere near where it used to be, and it's going to get even more crowded heading into the 4th of July holiday. Airlines are now calling for a meeting with the Biden administration to talk about potential solutions like staffing for the summer. For more, let's bring in Helene Becker, senior research analyst at Cowan. And, you know, Helene, um, having flown a lot lately, the irony is this. Terminal C at Newark, which is domestic flights on United, is mobbed. I mean, I've never seen it in 15 years more crowded And Terminal B, which I had to go through to some global entry thing I had to go to to renew it, was basically empty. And that's more the international. So I know the overall numbers are not higher, but I got to imagine the domestic flights and the number of passengers are maybe the highest they've ever been. No? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. You're right. Um, We forecast that 
uh, domestic U.S. travel is up about 40% from where it was in 2019. And the reason you don't see that showing up in the TSA numbers because is because what you just pointed out, international is still down about 50% and business is down wow. about 40%. So if those two cohort groups were back to 2019 levels, um, the TSA would regularly be screening 3 million passengers a day, and the system couldn't handle that. I mean, it can barely handle what it's doing now. And the overall numbers, as you pointed out, are still down about 10% from where they were three years ago. But at terminals that are domestic in nature, Terminal C, the terminals at Hartsfield in Atlanta, O'Hare, they're more crowded than ever. I'm thinking, why don't they just shift some of those gates to their international buildings, which, to your point, are probably down. They feel spacious and wide open, Helene, yeah. because yeah. people are getting frustrated. We're, yeah. we're, and we're seeing yeah. overwhelmed TSA agents, lack of uh, tower personnel, which is terrifying, by right. the way, and lack of pilots. Right. Right. All of that is very true. The U.S. government didn't train air traffic controllers for two years. And um, I know everybody points the finger at airlines, but it's not only their fault, right? It's airports don't have enough space. We haven't, it, LaGuardia is the exception and Newark where we've done some construction, but there's just not enough space at the airports. Why can't we shift over? Um, as I understand it, it has to do with gate leases and the fact that airline A has leases on you know, XYZ gates and airline B doesn't, and they'd have to do yeah. deals with among themselves or with airport personnel. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed also pets. I've seen not only people squished together, but they're bringing their pets more and more on board the aircraft too. And I think that it's all just adding to the fraught nat nature of air travel right now. Yeah. And they're doing the best they can. And I just remind every as somebody, you and I fly all the time. So the people who fly all the time never get upset, right? We're just like, okay, another delay. People fly once every five years, the ones I think, the ones that are normally screaming, be nice to everybody. Helene, you cover airline stocks. Are there any that are looking better than others right now from an investment perspective? And what do you make of this incredible, insane fight uh, over Spirit Airlines? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Spirit and JetBlue. JetBlue clearly wants Spirit, and they do have some room to raise the price um, if they want it bad enough. Um, obviously, Spirit, maybe not so obvious, but we think Spirit is going to be part of either JetBlue or Frontier at some point. Um, it will take at least a year, though. Nobody's getting this deal done this year, so that's one thing to think about. Um, as far as airline stocks go, um, I've watched the volatility and we, we update the valuations every week. We look at the earnings and these guys are going to have a pretty good second quarter. We think they're going to have a good third quarter. We're a little concerned because of what you pointed out in, in your earlier remarks about rents going up and commodity prices and so on. It's putting pressure on the wallet for people. So we are a little concerned about the fourth quarter numbers. Yeah. But we have a buy on United, to your point. Um, they are leveraged to the international market. So as and leisure international, not just business destinations, but leisure. So as that comes back, they should do well. The big international, three big international companies should do well. Um, domestic, obviously, any of the domestic airlines are doing. We have, yeah. we're, we're 
pretty optimistic because of the reopen recovery kind of trade. But to your earlier point, costs are going up yeah. too. Um, you you might have thought you know yeah, seen the, the United deal, yeah, United Pilots getting yeah. a roughly fourteen percent raise. So there you go. We'll <laughs> see. And by the way, <laughs> United, open up that new Terminal One at Newark sooner than later. It's going to be giant and brand new and spacious. And Newark will have the new, the first major airport in America will have the newest terminal. Hard to believe. Elaine Becker, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. All right, on deck, the Viking is back. Sven Henrik making the case why a big Fed pivot could be taking shape. All right, welcome back. Futures are higher. Looks like stocks looking to extend last week's nice little pop. We actually had the best day Friday since May of 2020. But is this just another head fake rally in a bear market? Your next guest thinks so. We're joined by our friend Sven Henrik, the Northman trader himself, the sarcastic Viking, as I labeled him many years ago. Sven, good to have you back on the program. Uh, this is very common, right? These nice little runs in an overall downtrend. Absolutely. Hi, Brian. Good to be with you. Well, you know, look, uh, we had a fairly sizable loan on June 17th, and there were a lot of technical arguments to be made for a big bear market rally to come. And that may still come, actually. You know, on Friday, we saw this really big bounce again, which looks like a lot of the other bounces we've seen so far. And maybe in the quarter end, we see some more of this. And the question for us in the summer simply is whether we're going to see a larger bear market that reconnects with some of the key technicals like the weekly 50-day moving average was around 4,300 at the moment, 4,350, or whether this all rolls over again. And on Friday, what we saw is, again, the market's reaction to yields and yield inflation expectations. Right now, the 10-year chart, I think, is a key chart to watch in general because we saw in 2018 markets and everything falling apart when the 10-year reached 3.2%. And to the extent that this ultimately rolls over, then you can have some more sizable upside in markets. However, <laughs> if yields go to anywhere near what the Fed funds rate implies right now, which is 3.8%, then I think everything will roll over and we head into a bigger recession. I think that's the key battle to watch here in, in the summer months. Because that's why markets are going down. People are just looking at the E in price to earnings and saying, okay, well, companies now are doing just fine. But in a year, are they going to have to ratchet down their earnings expectations because those higher rates, higher rents, as I just talked about, even with slightly lower gas prices, are just going to crush the American consumer. And by the way, European and UK consumer as well, Sven. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a disaster literally all over the place. It creates a lot of pressure. And ironically, the Fed has already admitted that rate hikes are not going to do anything to deal with inflation or food or rent uh, inflation on that front for energy prices. It's, it's completely out of their control. So the risk is that rate hikes actually are going to slow down the economy so fast uh, that actually we're going to enter a larger recession. That's why the yield equation is so incredibly important, Brian. Uh, at the end of the day, markets need lower yields. Otherwise, uh, yeah. we're definitely going to have a rollover. So once we get the lower yield signal, that means markets may have stopped going down very quickly. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, to, part of the bull, yeah. bear market rally case was the, not only the technicals, but the fact that positioning is extremely negative right now. So people are actually not prepared for a larger rally to come. So that, that actually creates mechanics that could be somewhat uh, – 
disconnected from fundamentals, if, if you will, because then, then you, yep. you have a chase rally that could happen fairly aggressively. Sven Henrik, Sven Henrik, the North Bank Trader. Sven, always appreciate your views. Thank you very much. Well, that does it for us here on the Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box with Becky Quick and Brian Sullivan is up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.